This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. I'm Bhavna Sumaya and I'm privileged to have a very, very graceful dancer with us today. Her name is Mandakini Tribedi, who started as a Bharatnatyam dancer and then shifted to Moini Atam. Uh, Mandakini Trivedi, welcome to EPLOG Media. Last night I was reading about you on the website and there were many interesting facets. One of them was uh, that you come from Gujarat. So at that time when you started doing Bharatnatyam, was there any dancer in the family? Not at all. I don't uh, come from an artistic background. It all happened by coincidence. I saw a girl dance in my school. It was the last days of school or something. And I told myself, wow, she can dance. I can't do anything. I should do something. <laughs> so I said, let me try dance. No, so then how did you tell your parents that you wanted to dance? And how did you know this was called Bharatnatyam? So I said, let me learn dance. Well, I knew it was Bharatnatyam because they announced it that way. And yes. it was introduced to us. So I said, yeah, let me go and learn dance. Hmm. I looked around for a class in my area. On your own? On my own, yeah. Uh -huh. I must be 16, I don't know, when one is in 11th standard, yeah. whatever. The last year of the school. Yeah. So I sort of zeroed in on a dance class in my locality. And I told my parents that I want to go and learn. Gee. And uh, my parents, uh, you know, the beautiful thing was they never interfered. In today's day and age, you would say they are disinterested parents. But I think that it gave a certain freedom to flower. Yes. I went to this dance class and the very first class, it was, I, I have no words to describe. I was ecstatic and I said, what was I doing all these years? Mm. And I just came home and closed the door and whatever little I had grasped in that one lesson, Our, huh? I kept on doing. And then years later, my mother said that, oh, when I was carrying you, I had seen the Saroja dance. Mm -hmm. And I had said, if I have a daughter, she should be a dancer. <laughs> but I didn't know how to do it, she said. So, so well, maybe it was destined. Maybe it, it was her prayer's answer. Isn't that an amazing story? Because um, I've done a book on Hema Malani. And uh, Hema Malani's mother, Jaya Chakravarti, she had gone for a performance and there was this beautiful dancer who was dancing and her name was Hema Malani. Okay. And Jayaji was so mesmerized by her that she yes. decided that if she gets a daughter, she's going to be called Hema Malani and she's going to be a dancer. Dance. And it turned out that she became as beautiful as the original Hema Malani. So we don't believe in it, but perhaps these things uh, happen. Yeah, it was quite love at first sight as far as the dance was concerned. I mean, this is it, I said. So how were the family, extended family reactions? Did you have siblings? Are you the oldest, youngest in the house? I had two brothers. The whole concept of supportive never entered my mind or their mind, <laughs> you know. And the extended family was like, okay, okay, let her uh, dance, you know. Ultimately, she is just going to look after the kitchen and get married and all that. Yeah. So there was no interference. There was no support. I just went according to my gut and the journey is entirely mine, you know. So you started at 16 and uh, you must have gone to college and balancing both the college and the dance classes. 
what was the peer pressure like did they say oh every time like you had to go for a class you are rushing for a dance were they uh, like in awe of you or were they critical of you how did people perceive dance in that time well i did two years of uh, commerce it was just a kind of what they call today a hobby class hmm. but after two years in commerce i realized uh, and i was doing it uh, for one or two years i did it by correspondence so i didn't even go to college the hmm. dance college had started you know when i studied the commerce i felt why am i doing this hmm. so one day i told my father i have decided uh, i am not appearing for the commerce exam so he said are you telling me or are you asking me hmm. i said i'm telling you so that was it he never questioned he mm-hmm. never uh, insisted mm-hmm. and my mind was very clear that what will i do with this commerce degree so i left it halfway and i don't regret it at all okay. because it just doesn't make sense to me i don't know how i i took up commerce because my brother was doing commerce you know yeah. how stupid that's decision. how it happens those days yeah whatever yeah so then giving it up was very easy you know it's yeah. a big deal And so were you doing dance full time by then then after that you know where I were joined, you learning dance at uh, i started my journey at nalanda okay dr kanakrele's uh, institute so you had shifted to mumbai by then i was always in mumbai okay but uh, your um, this says you're born in gujarat yes but as a child you must have come here yes yes okay So how did you find out about Nalanda? Like I told you I just went scouting around for classes yeah. and it was yeah. there at Chopati I was staying at Valkeshwar okay I said wow this is you know Perfect. got sent and uh, that's how it started everything just you know happened organically there was never not this I am born to dance and nothing of the sort it was so you can say casual hmm. natural hmm. but from day one for me it was this is life mm. and there you know the whole casualness and everything just ended but no. otherwise it was never nothing dramatic was there ever a dance break like for example when you got married or you had children did you stop dancing for a while no no i was teaching all through the pregnancy of course the last few months and all you can dance but a little bit you know <laughs> quietly one still the urge to move is there and then right after again i started dancing so i won't say it was a break in that sense you know like mm. for months together or something mm. i was teaching till the end so so you started teaching very early very early yeah as soon as i after your arangetram did you have an arangetram i did but okay. as soon as i finished my graduation mm. i was asked if i'd like to teach and again it all happened so organically when people asked me is this your profession i'm like i don't know what that <laughs> means because i had never had working women in my family i didn't know what this thing called being a professional is and are you a professional dancer and would you like to do things just happen you know and i'm so, slow at uh, at this side of life i think you know so career promotion uh, self projection image building all these things i'm daft you can say <laughs> those things uh, are important but uh, yeah. it can fall into place uh, if your passion is in the right place and that was always there for you and you were making decisions without even knowing it yeah. like you say organically 
So how did the shift from Bharatnatyam to Miniyatam happen? Again, it was just love at first sight. I would see my teacher dancing and then go home and try those movements. Mm. And I said, this is what feels right in my body. This is what vibes with my inner personality and temperament. So again, it came very naturally, you know, that no, this is the style I want to do. Although Mohiniyatam was at that point a really developing style. Even today, it's, you know, not like all the... A to Zs are not clear in it. But again, it was love at first sight. I never had any doubt. And people would tell me, you're foolish, you know, you're, you're training in this dance style that's so rich and vibrant. And why do you want to? But again, it made no sense to me. My mind was made up. No, but I am thinking that how can one follow one dance <clears throat> form, the body, the hands, the limbs move in a particular way. Yeah. And uh, you have to start from the scratch for the other one, which means the bhakti and the time that you've given to one art form uh, and reached the peak. You're kind of folding a book and starting another book. That's taking a tremendous uh, risk. Yes and no. The Indian dance styles are, though dissimilar, quite similar. Okay. And training never goes to waste, I think. I think the basic training is always... posture line rhythm uh, the intangibles of dance you know and those don't go to waste but yes the articulations get mixed up you get fired by both the teachers because mm. both feel that you're not doing justice to their style it's a part of the journey and eventually i think one falls off you know it's not even like you sit one day and decide that what do i want to do which is the style one fine day it just falls off and you're with it's like mother tongue you know only one can be your mother tongue you may speak many languages and so one day you realize that this expression comes easily to me and that's it like you know i have not done anything strategically or uh, you know planning or not plan things have just going by a gut which at that point i didn't even know it's a gut I just went and so that you know so you just said something that sets me thinking like uh, you get fired by both the teachers because <laughs> they both feel it's not happening the right way what happens to the dancer's self worth because uh, I'm just thinking you were not that old you were still young one teacher is firing the other <laughs> teacher is firing so uh, the dancer starts losing confidence so you appear very self assured how does that retain and how did it uh, ever get into a turmoil at that time it's a part of growing the whole up. process yeah it's a part of the growing up and uh, it is something you have to just digest and make your way through the jungle that's all you know i mean yes the self esteem takes a beating yes there are moments of doubt but then that again makes you realize no but i love this so you know it strengthens the love in a way and uh, you've just got to cut through the jungle with courage and love you know you know among actors uh, we believe that uh, it's important to have a conscience so in the family or among your friends who is always telling you that this is going right or this is going wrong because you're so much into the thick of it that you lose your objectivity 
do you have an outside conscience who's always telling you that no this is not happening right or this is right or that performance was great or this time you were a little limp within the fraternity some of your shishya or your husband or your child you know when i was at dance college we were two three friends who i would say served as my mentors you know when because we always danced in batches so they would watch and say you're not doing this correctly and i learned a lot from them you know because they were articulate they were more experienced than i was i was just like thrown into this world i didn't know what all this is performing and professional and things like that so they at that point some hand holding besides the teachers who correct you technically and all that but they kind of were the other uh mirrors but after that i think yes my husband had a very keen eye for dance and i think he had seen much more than i had so there was that he would after a show comment but there was no one person who is groomed in the arts is familiar with the arts uh, and who you know sort of can guide you on how to take yourself forward i didn't have anyone like that and then once i met my spiritual master um i think that need fell off and there was just an inner guidance uh one of the articles i read on you uh you have said that you went through a phase uh, when you were feeling very low and you were you know not as cheerful and then how you went to this uh, mahabaleshwar and found this guru and then you stayed there for 6 months and then there was a transformation and i think today you are heading that uh, institution so what happened how did that process take place so yeah his his ashram was near lonavla well what happened is uh, at the dance college one would study the history of aesthetics the theory of aesthetics its background in philosophies and there were statements like uh, the aesthetic experience is twin brother of the highest spiritual experience and to be honest what i saw around me was just corruption in the field of dance i saw a lot of competitiveness and uh, nastiness and i would you know feel very pained that what what am i reading and studying and the the actuality in which i am placed is just the opposite what does this all mean is there really can the arts give this ananda because i see a lot of frustration heartbreak and nastiness you know at every level and i just by chance happened to meet my spiritual master we used to call him baba ji by uh, chance means how did you stumble into him just a friend uh, said you know there is this master and oh he's so full of joy and he's not a dancer no he's not a dancer and i was at that point in my life seriously questioning what where do i go from here and what is all this about and so i said chalo let's meet him no, i was not even looking for a guru so it's not like i was searching and again the moment i met him it was like when i met dance i said this is it oh, we talk of ananda here is ananda 
I don't see it anywhere in the world of mm. art. Mm. I don't see any artist in a state of ananda. Mm. So I said, this is what I want. <laughs> and? And that's it. I just started spending time with him. And for many years, I just would dance only at the ashram or I would dance only if somebody remembered me and said, why don't you perform or mm. uh, do, do a workshop or something. But I stopped. I didn't know where my brochures were, where my reviews were. I'm completely oblivious. I went into the spiritual path without realizing it. You said in that interview that um, you would just sit with him and go on talking about dance and he just continued to yes. listen. Yes. And uh, it was just like a one-way traffic and then suddenly one day he said you should get back to dancing. Yes, yes. So that was many years, you know, I would tell him all my woes. <laughs> because were you staying there forever? No, no, no. You were coming I was and in going. Bombay. He was coming and going. Okay. He would, I would go to the ashram for a okay. few days. It was all very unstructured, very informal, no mm. courses in meditation or anything like they have nowadays. It was nothing like that. He would just uh, keep on chatting with us. I've written a book uh, called Conversations on Happiness, Ananda Yoga, which yes. are the conversations which disciples had with him, you know. Mm. So it was all very casual, free-flowing, natural, whatever came to your mind, you just mm. spoke. And I would talk to him about the form of dance, about the journey, about the the circumstances that surround it, about this thing called professional dancing, my queries, my angst, my worries, etc. It was just like you would talk to a parent, mm. but who had a higher vision. Mm. And I don't know, it just kind of sorted me out. And he would often say, see, look at these trees. They are so happy seeing you dance. That's it. Why do you need anything more than that? Mm. And I mean, he never uh, he never advised or pontificated, but just an inner change came, you know, and you started looking at the arts in a different perspective. And uh, I, I became convinced that, yes, this transcendental background that aesthetics and uh, philosophy talks of is there in our arts, is there in our forms. And... Uh, for, for many years, I didn't teach. I didn't, you know, do any of the normal things. And one day he said, oh, I have taken away your dance from you. I didn't realize. Hmm, I said, he said, no, I'll give it back to you. I didn't know what all that meant, taking away and giving back. But slowly, one student came and I said, can I teach? He said, yes, yes, go ahead. So that's how, again, I... Uh, you know, sprung back. Yeah, and to this day, people feel, oh, you live in that ashram somewhere, <laughs> you know. Are you in Bombay? Kind of queries they have. But I'm very much in Bombay. I'm also looking after the place and spreading that vision, not just through uh, my own performances, but we do residential programs at Shakti Yoga Ashram for young people, for adults, to make them aware that Every aspect of this culture comes from yoga. That place is called Shakti Yoga Ashram, yeah. Okay. And the emphasis there is that India saw everything as yoga. Lifestyles were yoga, 
systems of medicine were yoga systems of art were yoga so at that place we bring groups of children college going students adults just to give them this perspective and that we never saw any art or craft different from life mm. so this holistic integrated uh, vision of ecology spirituality lifestyle arts is what i work on at the ashram while so, i continue to dance with this awareness so for me it's very clear that these are sadhanas and if if we want to keep them pure we have to preserve this vision and goal just keeping the form authentic alive is not the answer the purpose the vision the goal should be authentic forms change that is the nature of forms to change but visions and goals should be kept pure and authentic and uh, the vision in india of the arts is that they are sadhanas they are to expand consciousness they are to evolve and to me this is very important and should be again and again reinforced in dance education so that the young person sees from where the arts have come and where they should go you are an expert in what is called a yoga dance matlab uh, that you are bringing yoga into in a very conscious way into dance form but i am a little confused because uh, whether it's bharatnatyam or whether it's mohiniyattam then those are pure forms of dance by themselves so how does this yoga thing come or is this a separate thing that you're doing no actually are I, you combining them no actually um i'm not bringing yoga into the arts it is already there i'm saying let's look at it you're professing it no i'm saying let's look at it and put it into practice these forms have been created as parallel yogas mm-hmm. and uh, it's not like oh that asana is done in yoga we also do it in dance so dance is a yoga that's a very uh, simplistic know, yes yes these are parallel yogas dance music painting iconography india saw these all as yogas but when the culture became fragmented due to various historical reasons all the aspects of the art scattered sort of scattered away. yes and everybody held pieces of that tradition and nice. all i'm saying is that it's already there we have to practice it like that that's all and so i'm not uh, an expert in in any sense i'm just seeing this connection very deeply i'm practicing it and when i teach i tell my students also to practice it because every limb of this art is shouting yoga and we are ignoring it and you do practice yoga also separately of course yes yes how many days a week you do yoga <laughs> every day sadhana is something you do every day and dance also you do every day yes because i do yoga and uh, i am just beginning to learn dance and uh, i find my mind picking uh, when i'm doing both because uh, i feel um, in dance they ask you to keep your hands perfect and the right balance whereas in the yoga when you're doing they ask you to leave it loose you know and take it in a different way 
and I feel I can close my eyes and follow my guru in the yoga but uh, I have to keep my eyes open and listen to also see what she's telling me in dance. I find them antithesis in a way though there are many names that are similar whether it's Adhomukha or Agratala Sanchala or something like that. So that is my observation. What I feel is that most dancers are spiritual and you seem to be a little more spiritually evolved than many more I have met. Was the influence just through the guru that you met or were there germs of it even as a child? What was the ambience at home? Was your mother religious or was there some kind of a religion practice going on like an arti, puja, whatever? Yes, I come from a very religious background but it was dogmatic and I rebelled against that and I said this is not what I want religion should be. So there was a religious background at home, but what I'm practicing now is, is a more uh, integrated and deeper version of, uh, of what I grew up with and what I rejected as a child. And I said, this can't be religion. Again, I had the same problem that these people practicing religion are not at all evolved. How can I, how can I have faith in these systems when the products of that system are not uh, I felt the same thing in dance so what I'm practicing now is what again that what the guru kind of sowed the seed and like an inner revolution on meeting the guru hmm. is what I practice now but you sign off every uh, text message or an email with a shivam yes, yes so it seems like you are a shiva devotee Shivam actually means all is Shiva. Okay. All is pure. All is wonderful. All is beautiful. It's to remind yourself not to be prejudiced, not to be conditioned, and everything is Shiva. You know, I was watching a film on Sachin Tendulkar. Uh, it's about his life. And the portion that attracts me the most in that is um, he talks uh, that when he has a match, you know, how he starts preparing from the previous night, how he takes out his clothes and he spreads it and he has his favorite music on and how he cleans his ball and bat and everything personally, you know. What is your mindset when you have a performance? What is going on the previous day? Are you controlling your diet? Who takes out the costume and checks it? the jewelry, because it's an elaborate dressing and it's an elaborate process. Uh, well, I do everything. Take out the jewelry and iron the clothes. And in a sense, it gets you into the zone, you know, and makes you deeply aware that uh, there is an event happening the, the uh, next day. Yeah. And so that's one kind of preparation. There is also the usual sadhana which one does there is this flashes of pieces just passing through your mind sometimes I feel that uh, those are the flashes that nature is telling you pay attention to these tomorrow or there are messages of how to do something and I'm sure every artist has it I don't think it's anything extraordinary so there are those things you know where you suddenly look at one aspect of the performance and you start rehearsing it practicing it and 
in hindsight you feel ha i didn't listen to that intuition sometimes you ignore intuitions you know because i guess you're lazy so there are those experiences also that oh i wish i had listened to that inner for voice. example some memory of it no like uh, is it a weak step that you have to polish up or sometimes yeah i do i feel that so there are two things you know sometimes it's like that inner voice is filling you with energy to do a particular scene and guiding you there sometimes it's a warning sometimes it's be careful prepare for this and uh, i'm afraid one doesn't always read it correctly mm. <laughs> i wish one would but yeah those are very helpful voices coming from inside mm. as you get older it's not so much about just practicing those movements again and again and again in fact it can just burn you out you know but mm. it's just about just flashes of intuition and awareness that come and more and more of late i feel this sense of surrender that because we are worshipers of the goddess so i feel oh goddess you dance here is this body wow and uh, wow your will and the so guru. you are thinking of who amba mata or durga mata or yeah so we are worshipers of lalita okay. tripura sundari that's mm-hmm. what the guru gave to me mm-hmm. so more and more that happens that and then i feel oh the guru is also there so i say may you also dance through me because they are one and the same okay. so that is a feeling that is now most powerful because no matter how much you practice no matter how much you work unless you can just surrender completely without that feeling of i the performance gets a different quality and more and more i feel that you know technique will one day defeat you because you will get older the body is not going to you're not going to be able to practice that much also but surrender and just becoming one with expression nobody can take away from you and so more and more i feel like yeah here is this body in whatever condition it is may you dance through it what is uh, your biggest fear before you're getting onto the stage does it ever occur to you that maybe you are going to blank out no if you're taking so long to think no. <laughs> um, no are you uh tense uh, to a point of uh, withdrawal and not wanting to talk to people or do you uh, flare up fast i would call that a deep preoccupation you know and mm. and because you realize it after a performance as if a whole part of your brain has been dropped yes now there's a vacuum there so that was filled with the performance so mm-hmm. i would say yeah there is this intense preoccupation that does not allow other things to come in and sometimes that may make one irritable or just negligent of other things but i see it just as being filled mind space being just filled in this dance form poiniyatam what would you say are your uh, plus points compared to your contemporaries what do you think are your positives my guru that's my that's the only positive i have that this approach of surrender 
and this conviction that the arts are for self-evolution and the arts are to make yourself a more evolved person and uh, just a tool for self-realization. I think that's the only plus point I have. I think people I know in the field of dance in my discipline are very good and very well trained and have you know greater access to what they call the authentic tradition because I'm not an insider, I'm not a native of the form. I think they all have that in large measure, but this is the gift of my spiritual guru, that I'm completely convinced that this form is for this, and you may use it for other purposes, but it's like you can keep a Nataraja image in your drawing room as decoration. Fine, it looks decorative, but that's not its purpose. Its purpose is to make you contemplate on life. Its purpose is to make you deeply aware of this dynamic energy that fills the universe. So I do feel that we are doing this to our classical forms because they are so vast. You can twist and turn them and use them for other purposes, but this is the authentic purpose. I think that's a plus which I've got from my spiritual master. What, if you're self-critical, what is your minus? What is my minus? Um, I started too late. Okay. That something again, you can't do anything about. That I, I think just, you know, that when I look back, I would have trained differently if I had all this understanding and if I had started earlier. So, but uh, what my way out of it is I give it to my students and I say, you do this, I, I could not, but you do it. So you can only give it to the next generation. So that is one thing, not a regret at all, because there is an advantage to coming to an art later in your life. You're matured. Yes. You know, you don't need somebody to push you to say yeah. practice. You already are aware. Yes. But that lost time, I feel sometimes that, you know, you cannot, maybe cannot cover that ground. So you are a, a dancer who has shifted lanes. You are an author. You have done three books of different subjects. You are uh, somebody who's a teacher. A professor, you also go and kind of um, talk about dance. You're invited often for lectures. I've seen some of your videos and you speak very passionately about what you believe. And there is a certain reserve also, which is uh, going into these lanes of spirituality and evolved and higher plane. Out of all the things that you do, what gives you the biggest joy? There are two aspects, I think, to my life. One is the spiritual sadhana and one is the dance sadhana. And I think they are, for me, so intimately connected. If I don't dance, that joy of the spiritual sadhana, uh, I feel it's missing, you know. Mm -hmm. The dance feeds that. And if I don't do spiritual sadhana, then the dance seems just like body work, you know. So for me, these two aspects of my life are just totally correlated. So like how many students must you be having now? Oh, very few. <laughs> and I, uh, do you also like choreograph ballets and things like that? Or you do the regular dances? 
my work is more in the solo not in group choreographies and uh, in that in the solo compositions there are two things that really interest me one is to push the boundaries of mohiniyattam to give mm-hmm. it dynamism to give it variety to make it interesting watchable form so that it can stand shoulder to shoulder with the other classical dance styles and you know does not appear like lacking in some ways from my own uh, ability i i try to do that and the second thing is how can this spiritual content be expressed through dance and can i choose pieces that allow me to do that and can i through those pieces actually give that kind of an experience i try and uh, your academy is called nateshwari it's called it's a, it's you can say it's a gurukul gurukul the students um are like family members and everything is shared with them because i also feel that the first rung of dance is diet nutrition fitness okay so right from that you know mm. the students are initiated into you know you must eat right what is right eating and then what is fitness and then slowly slowly and what are the things that you tell them about right eating like <laughs> what are the do's and don'ts oh that's that will be a whole chapter you know it's it's uh, i'm less passionate about it now than i used to be but it was a huge passion to just eat right it's many things but at least throw out the junk okay that's the first uh, sort of uh, rule throw out the junk you know mm. and eat consciously and then include these energizing things like fruits and nuts and sprouts and vegetables and uh, go slow on carbs you know these are all basic rules and eat right so there's a guidance depending on what the student is doing wrong it's right. not like one size fits all but definitely that initiation is there you know not to not to do chai biscuit in rehearsals which is the norm okay you know to so, din kya karna chahiye rehearsal ke time pe nahi chai biscuit to nahi khana chahiye <laughs> phal khao my thing uh, to the students is before you enter before a performance have a banana have fruits have dates don't do this chai biscuit thing uh, afterwards if you want to to just be stressed but on stage go with a pure energy and consciously as we sort of walk together mm-hmm. the guidance is i share i'm not a guru on nutrition or any such thing i share with them what helped me in my journey and i observe what they are doing and how that can be sort of shifting everything so how different is mandakini trivedi the person from the performer or the teacher i know the fits i'm all one <laughs> what is a day in your life like ah uh, day in my life is, i need at least what time do you wake up not very early okay between 6 and 7 hmm. uh, i need 3 4 on good days 5 hours just for myself and what do you do so one does meditation and yoga mm-hmm. and dance and just being by yourself 
reciting the stotras going for a walk that whole chunk is just sadhana actually okay i need that uh, time at the beginning of the day okay yeah so so i start work much but does the family feel uh, isolated at that time that <laughs> you are getting cut off from them no i think now they are used to me mm-hmm. everybody is used to do you watch movies oh yes so who do you think uh, are the good dancers in our movies or other who are your favorite dancers there is no favorite dancer really huh. no huh. see because uh, as far as the entertainment world is concerned i don't use my critical faculties for that dance at all <laughs> at all no but yes. then for example which is a nice dance that you've seen on the big screen no it doesn't really uh, impact me that way none of vaijantimala's dance that you vaijantimala was a superb dancer yes and, i mean no and whether no. it was amrapali or it was jewel thief yes so she, she was a superb dancer yeah. but that whole aesthetic of commercial cinema dance i don't no for example you know now there are some uh, directors like sanjaleela bansali who uh, because he's a choreographer he projects dance in a very different way in particularly hamdil de chuke sanam the garbas and all he had done it very yeah. nicely see what happens is a classical dancer always feels a little superior to the other <laughs> no, bollywood dancers i don't i think they are two different genres completely and my critical faculties are not equipped to process that it's mm. it's a part of the whole scenario it is for entertainment i reserve my critical understanding only for the classical arts so really there's no such thing as favorite dance being, being favorite. a gujarati and coming uh, do you also teach uh, like in navratri times a little bit of garba and folk dance to your students i'm very bad at that so okay. i can't teach it <laughs> i've noticed that you dress very differently uh, you're the only one whom i know who dresses in these two half sarees and you've been doing this for years how did you evolve this style and you also put your bindi in a very different way uh, everybody's using stick on bindis you're still using uh, the powder bindi which is wonderful because anything that is authentic is attractive so how did you develop this so called signature style so i laugh that i can't afford a full sari ha uh-huh. but that's not the point yeah i had once gone on a field trip to kerala and it was the monsoons and every from the family people said take nylon sarees you know in the rain you cannot so i did take them and i felt so lost and uncomfortable i said now nah, i need a cotton natural yeah. fiber and in kerala you have the setam mundus just went and picked up one and again it was like when i started dancing the day i wore it i said this is me i i cannot think of wearing anything else and then i came home hmm. and i said what do i do with all these sarees i have and you so i started up. cutting them. oh my god <laughs> i and i found it so creative because you have now two pieces and then your third is the blouse and my god it it 
I was, you know, like going crazy. With so, them. how do you preserve them in your cupboard? Like, are they uh, all <laughs> the half of pieces kept by color, and then you just pick up anything, or you match them and you keep them together? No, it's completely um, a mixed bag of things lying in the cupboard, and that again is, you know, the uh, most interesting thing. That suddenly combinations strike you that you didn't know existed. You know, you see a yellow here and you see a white there, and you say, "Hey, I never." Thought, let me try these two, and you come up with a new uh, outfit altogether. So I find it really creative and comfortable because it's not miles and miles of cloth like a. You think it's a little much lesser cloth? Much less. It's like you know, two two meters four instead of six. Yeah, not even four because this one down is, is yes. lesser. <laughs> So yeah, it's light. It's easy to wash. It's easy to dry. It's, it's easy, easy to, to iron. Yes. You can even fold them and not iron them. You can and reuse value is great. Can oh, become wow. a shawl. It can become so many things. Dupatta. Yes. So, and you don't put a fall or anything. No, you don't need to. Wow. So it's just. I'm it's, very attracted to it. <laughs> yes, it's. Um, and the last is uh, why do you wear a rudraksh? That's also just shivam thing or what? Yes, this was given by the guru. The guru, and uh, is it two or is it one that you folded it? No, it's one. Okay, yes. I've added a bit of styling to it. Mm. It's just a long rudraksha, and the day he gave it to me, I said, "Do I have to wear it all the time or sometime?" Mm. And he said, "There is no sometime for you now." So that was a message that yeah, you wear it all the time, and not that it uh, bothers me at all. In fact, I feel it's the greatest protection that I have. So, what more do you want out of life? Do you want to write more books? Do you want to give more lectures? Do you want to still modify the art form? Do you want to expand your uh, gurukul? A little of everything. Tough question, this one. Just more and more glimpses of truth in every way, nice. and whichever way. But yeah, life is short. And I would like to have that, just more and more of truth. Have you trained your students to take over the legacy? Will they be able to? Do they have the expertise? I feel the goddess will take care of that. I have done what I can. I'm doing what I can. I think they can be empowered if they want to take it forward. And I, I don't feel that they don't have my expertise. Because when the higher forces want, things just happen. So I don't worry about my legacy at all. I do what I can. I live the principles of and the vision of the art that I believe in. It is for them to take it, take it forward. Or I don't feel so self-important. You know, I don't feel I'm like this savior of classical dance or anything. I just feel, to me, the transcendental arts and this. Terrific structuring, like a Rubik's cube, that has been achieved in the classical arts, where form, content, experience—all of it works at three levels simultaneously. So that, like a Rubik's cube, there are nine facets of the art happening every time you see it. And uh, even if I—and what are the nine? So there's the form, which is. You know, whatever you call it, Bharatanatyam. There's the content, which is mm. the themes which you are dancing. There is the experience, which 
the spectator gets. And each one of these has three layers to it. For example, the form is, the first layer is its aesthetic. I mean, mm. nobody can deny that, that mm. this is beautiful. Mm. Then there, it is symbolic. This very form, even this standing in that Aramandi in Bharatanatyam, there is a symbolism to it. It's not just a random aesthetic that came. Mm. So there's symbolism and then there is, it's yogic, which means if you stand in this position, you will experience a centering. You will experience a peace. So that's, yoga means first-hand experience of truth. Mm. That's how I would define. So if you look at the form, it has these three. If you look at the content, at one level, it's a narrative, it's a story. So it's uh, charming. Mm. You know, Ganapati is asked to, and his brother are asked to go around the three worlds. One brother goes on his peacock because he's, you know, the stronger one. The other one, also because of his size, see, it all fits into character, decides he will just walk around. It's a charming tale. Yes. Even a child will understand. And we, even in spite of our age, always enjoy hearing it. So there's the narrative aspect and then there's the symbol. When he goes around his parents, he's going around Shiva and Shakti, mm. matter and energy, mm. consciousness and this. So he's right. Even that makes sense at the symbolic mm. level. That what else is there? Mm. So that's the symbolic. And if you look at the yogic level, it takes you to the Kundalini that Shiva and Shakti are here. You have to just do Pradakshina of that within your body. Mm. So see how one content, it's up to you how many layers you want to there is no force. Then there is the experience at the very basic level. It is a sensual experience. Yes. Pleasing to the eyes, pleasing to the ears, feel good. Yes. Which is why people accuse Indian dance of being pretty and you know all Seductive. those. Right. But I think that I, I see it as the compassion of the tradition which said that let the senses also participate mm. in this. So at one level it's pure sensual experience at the second level it is cathartic it somewhere touches your life every parent will feel that yeah if my child thinks i am their world and every child feels this is our world so it's cathartic it resonates with my life yes and then at a still deeper level is it is rasatmaka and it takes you to the feeling of complete dissolution of the ego and sense of bliss. Mm. All this has been very subtly brought together in a tradition that is handed over ready-made to the dancer. I think that is a luxury and the greatest blessing. For me, therefore, this legacy is, is what this tradition is about. And I feel fortunate that it chose to pass through me. Absolutely. And I feel it will find people to pass through. And that's the legacy. And the students, whenever they, and if and when they feel, it will pass through them. It doesn't belong to anybody. It will live. On that fantastic note, I say thank you to you. I have to say that my takeaway from this conversation has been, um, I see you as uh, somebody who is truly evolved and uh, not at all self-focused, uh, taking life, dance, art as it comes and flowing through it. 
making decisions very introvertedly and uh, i think something to learn from thank you mandakini it was a pleasure to meet you talk to you and my takeaway is that if you flow with the tide then everything goes right do write to us what you think about the episode you can dm us on instagram at epilog media or on bhavna somaya <laughs>